world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com slash ap slash blog. Welcome to season three of Salesforce Digital Imperative. So for companies in every industry, connecting to customers through digital channels is more important than it's ever been before. In fact, for many companies, a digital transformation has become a matter of survival. And Salesforce helps companies put their customers at the center of everything they do by helping them with their digital transformations. Speaking of digital transformations today, I have the lovely Justin Payton, Chief Transformation and Strategy Officer at Wunderman Thompson APAC. Hello, Justin. Hello. I'm Simone Heng. I forgot to say, I'm Simone Heng. It's so, so good for you to be here. Big job title. Too many words, too many words. Just tell us simplistically, what do you do? Um, My role really is two things. Number one, Wonderman Thompson is the product of two agencies coming together, JWT and Wonderman, and it is to help bring the capabilities together internally, but then more specifically to help our clients uh, look at what their transformation roadmap is, understand how they can use digital to better serve their customers, better grow their business. Fantastic. So... How did you get into a role like that? How does that start? (laughs) Uh, My career has been partially planned and partially fortuitous. Um, So I, how do we get into this career? Um, (laughs) It's always a good question. I I started my life and my career working in finance. And uh, one of, it was a great job. It was was one of the last people standing on the floor of the stock exchange yelling. Is this pre-global financial crisis times? I'm old enough to just be able to say I, I yes, just and I won't wanted go to be nice. I, I just, I just won't go into the details. <laughs> so you were there during the raving era, where you know, mega, mega bonuses kind of era. Well, so I didn't work for those businesses, but, uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, I would, I would be nicely retired if that was the case. But, uh, but no, I, uh, but, but as far as the era goes, yes, that's the right era. But I worked for a, a, a smaller business than that. But, um, but so I worked in that industry for a little while. And then I wound up uh, changing industry and I was living in the UK and a very good friend of mine asked me to, she'd recently won a big piece of work for a bank in the UK and realized that she didn't really understand what investment bankers were talking about. So she asked me if I could come and do some consulting work and help be a translator. Um, and so I wound up doing some consulting work for a, a big digital agency and I wound up staying there for 13 years. And, uh, so that, they gave you a full-time job in the agency? They gave me a contract position, which turned into a, me not leaving, yeah. Wow. And what did you love? What did you fall in love with about, about the field? Uh, what, what I really love and still love about this business is the pace of change and is the fact that every business has a different challenge and the fact that every day I wake up and I'm, 
asked to solve a problem that I don't know how to solve. And so I have to be constantly learning about what's new in the industry, what's changing in the industry, uh, what our clients' businesses are about, how they actually really function, how to help them, what the, consu- mm-hmm. there's, I feel like I'm on a constant learning journey and that's exciting. Do you think that's a big part of your success is that you are interested in the learning? Because I assume not everyone is. People get to a point in their career where they're like, yeah, I'm over the industry. I don't want to read the industry journals and websites and attend forums and conferences. But for you, it's, you know, do you think it's a big secret to success to keep keep that going? I would think that's a secret to success for every industry. I don't think that's a secret <laughs> to success in this industry. I think I think that that if people want to advance and want to move forward in life and in everything, the question is, how do you keep challenging yourself and how do you keep learning? So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make that exclusive to this industry. I think it's important. Or exclusive to Justin. Or exclusive to me. <laughs> I, 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 I learn a lot from a lot of other people and I'm lucky about that. I get to surround myself with lots of interesting people. That's the other good thing. And speaking of Justin, you also grew up in Silicon Valley, which is really interesting. What did you learn from growing up there? <laughs> Um, I, so I grew up in Palo Alto at a time when it wasn't what it is today. It was, okay, what uh, is it today, Justin? <laughs> well, uh, so it, to, today I would say that it's a lot of big tech companies. When I grew up there, there were big tech companies, but they were smaller tech companies. They didn't have the global influence that they have today. And it was really a city, uh, ruled by ex hippies and academia. Um, so, so you had kind of an idealistic view of what technology could be. And I definitely have carried that idealist view of what technology could be with me. I, I, I believe to this day that uh, technology has the power to really bring people together mm-hmm. in meaningful ways and to help people explore their own humanity. And, and I think that's, that's an exciting thing. And it's not what everything technology does, but, but we certainly have the ability to get there. So speaking of technology, you use some of Salesforce in your business. Can you describe how your business works with Salesforce? We are a Salesforce partner. They're a very important partner for us, um, both here and globally. And we um, rely on Salesforce to help our clients improve their business, whether that be by helping our clients to drive more personalized messaging to their customers, uh, whether it be to, to manage the data about who their customers are, whether it be to manage their sales, their commerce. There are a million different uses that we that we help our, our clients with, but, but we are a big partner with Salesforce helping them to, uh, well, helping to implement those technologies and then run and operate those technologies for our clients. So I was going to say during COVID-19, there must have been some huge changes and digital transformation that happened. Like what what has your business been doing during COVID particularly? What does your day-to-day feel like, oh, I'm doing this every day for my clients? <laughs> uh, well, th- what it feels like day-to-day starts to feel like Groundhog Day. I think I think we all feel that way sometimes. But not but when you have different clients. You see, that's the beauty of what you do. You could have a similar problem, but it, each client is different. I, I, I will say I look forward to uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be in Singapore and to be able to, to get out of the house and, and, oh, and see all? a few more things than, so than in other places. But, uh, but no, I think the, the, the reality here is that we had a lot of clients who had very traditional business models – and um, a lot of clients who, who looked at what the relevance of those business models were or what the relevance of their communication strategies were and quickly had to pivot. And some pivoting with a very clear strategy where they just accelerated a roadmap that they might have already had and others who really needed to develop a new way of going to market and a new way of, of thinking about things. And so, so the challenge for us was obviously to, to work with them and help them to, to kind of quickly move and and mobilize in a direction that was going to allow them 
to, to, to stay in contact, stay connected, keep selling to their customers, despite the conditions in whatever market they happen to be in. And my responsibility is for all of APAC. So that's different conditions in different places. So anything really interesting case study that you want to share from that particular time of a client that really you will allow them to pivot much more easily? I, I think, I think there's, I mean, there's, there's always quite a few and, and I, but I think when, when I look at what's been really fun or, or talking to the clients who, and this is, this is, I won't mention the client's names because, because it's, it's, okay. always, it's always the ones that, well, the, the, the really fun ones are the ones where there's the most disruption, right? Yeah. Where, where you see all of a sudden the most challenge uh, in an industry and the most change because then transformation, you, you right? really have to think about how are we going to make this work? How do people stay relevant? You look at quick serve restaurants, for example, where their business model has always been, how do we bring people into our store? How do we move them through quickly? How do we seat them closely together? It's maximize the dollars per square foot mm -hmm. of floor space, right? And all of a You're sudden- You're talking quick, quick serve is like fast food, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, I speak in industry jargon sometimes, Sorry. apologies. <laughs> oh, you're one of those guys. But, but I'm too used to it. It's a bad habit. Um, but but yeah, fast food restaurants. And you, and you look at that business model and all of a sudden it's like, well, that doesn't work anymore. Whether it's whether it's Singapore where you still can go out or whether it's anywhere else, like how many people are you seeing in, mm -hmm. in those restaurants? So all of a sudden, the they've all had app strategies and had delivery strategies, but all of a sudden you went from your stores and your physical footprint being the majority of your revenue to apps and delivery being the majority of your revenue. And how do you balance that? How do you make sure that people are going to come back? How do you incentivize mm -hmm. people to buy from you to to buy from you again. When someone who works in an office building and has a quick serve place that they go to for lunch, maybe twice a week, um, all of a sudden isn't there anymore and they're not going to lunch anymore. Well, why did they go there? They, there's probably a good, probably a lot of it had to do with physical proximity, Yeah. right? It was downstairs. Well, <laughs> well, how do we all of a sudden replicate that physical proximity, that convenience for people when they don't, live next door. Yeah. It's all about all of a sudden and getting to And they may not go back anytime really they, soon, right? They, they, they so. may not go back to the office. So all of a sudden now we need to be able to create models where we can uh, identify what kind of food the person likes, when they typically order, uh, or is it days of the week? Is it times of day? Is it that they usually order just for one, enough food for one person? Is it more than one person? How do you know how many people it is? Maybe it's by the number of drinks they order. But I mean, you've, you've got <laughs> so you all So you need a lot proxies. of cons consumer information there. You, the, 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 you, you start sitting there and thinking about how do I not just know I can move this many sandwiches and this much food through my restaurant, but how do I start to get to know the consumer so that I can remind them that I'm there at times when they're likely to, to listen, that I can incentivize those offers, that I can get them to come. And, and those are models that are really interesting because- And because they use technology. They are all reliant on technology. They're all reliant on the types of personalization, um, the types of kind of uh, identity management, CRM, mm -hmm. and, and communication tools that we use. So we'll use things like Marketing Cloud to be able to create those customized journeys, mm -hmm. um, to be able to capture the audience identity, and then to be able to remarket to them across whichever touch point is most meaningful to them. And we can capture all that data about the individual and make sure that we keep in contact at the right time and start to increase those um, digital transactions rather than in-store transactions. And it's so fascinating because I'm a number one target. Like I buy off those kind of AI prompts all the time. Um, so 
it must be a huge gap, a huge disadvantage if clients aren't taking that digital approach, particularly with what we've seen with COVID. Obviously, everything's been accelerated. But even before COVID, those businesses that were investing into that kind of technology and that kind of thinking even uh, were leaps and bounds ahead. But that gap must be so wide between the companies that, you know, I don't want to build that big database, people's information, and, and know all this stuff. <laughs> I, I think, listen, the it's always different by industry. So so it's difficult to say and make sweeping generalizations about what, what's good and what's not. But but I do think that we have seen, by and large, um, a, a gap grow between the people who lead the market and the number two player. And there's a lot of research to suggest that actually being the number one brand in experience really helps people to be the number one brand in growth and consumer preference and trust, that, there's, that, that, that there, there is a correlation mm-hmm. that exists there. And so there are advantages, and, and our ambition is always to, to help our clients uh, maximize the advantage or create advantages where they can. So, so yeah, I, I would say that most of these friends. <laughs> so there's one thing that I noticed as we're talking, and this is not in my questions at all, but you're so good at getting in the head of – a customer avatar, the, the potential consumer. Like you just freestyled before about the guy who works near the, the the quick serve restaurant. Has that been a lot of your genius along your career that you're very good at imagining that that customer avatar? So there's, there's uh, something that I heard once upon a time and it stuck with me and it, I heard it from an old colleague of mine and it's always stuck with me. And that is that we, we work in this digital industry. Um, we we talk about data, we use a whole lot of jargon, but realistically all that data is really just people in disguise, right? It's it's just the vapor trail of who you are. You leave a digital footprint. So all that data, if we talk about it as data, it's very difficult for um, marketers, for clients, for people to, to understand and relate to because we're humans. We relate to people. We don't relate on a, on, a, on a personal level to data. But when you translate the data to mean that's really just a, a reflection of who someone else is, um, when you turn that into uh, a view of what that human is, what their, what their behaviors are, what their preferences are, and start thinking about it in that way, it becomes much easier. And, and as I said at the beginning, my, my personal perspective is that technology has the power to, to kind of help us connect with our humanity and to allow us the freedom to really express our, our humanity in a more honest way. That, that's at least my idealistic uh, <laughs> view of where, where we should get to, right? And that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the kind of idealistic mm-hmm. side of, of Palo Alto coming out of me. But, but I really believe that. And by doing that, in order to do that, I, the stories I tell myself and the way I think about things – it's always, well, let's tell a story about a person and how does this person work? And, and if you tell it as a, as, as a story is about a person, you're always kind of thinking about what the journey is. What are the steps that mm-hmm. that person's going to take? How is it going to work? And that really is the way the industry model works. It's let's think about the customer journey. Let's understand it um, in a way where we can map out the triggers, the motivations, the behaviors. What are the data signals that tell us each one? Um, so it's a question of being able to kind of take that human, very real experience and then layer on a bunch of data as an overlay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I'm uh, better at it than others, but it is it comes natural. 
Wow, that's amazing because it doesn't come natural to me at all. I'm I need to be much more customer focused in all of my business. I'm so used to being been a consumer, so it's so interesting when I hear how you can just freestyle. It's so innate to you uh, that you're so customer focused and and you you connect that data to something so human all the time. It's amazing. Uh, speaking of amazing, you have a philosophy that that transformation is a philosophy. Can you explain a little bit about that? I don't know that this is my philosophy, but I believe in one thing, right? I believe that we are moving from a period where people think about transformation as a project and what are you going to do as a business? Well, we've got this transformation project. <laughs> We're going to put some budget against that and it will start on this date and we'll work on it for this many, for this much time and then it will be done to a point where, where businesses are thinking about themselves as being transformational. Right. So how do we move from a transformation project to a transformational business? And what is a transformational business? It's it's really a business that recognizes that change is the one constant. We will always be in a state of change. So how do we become more comfortable with the fact that we will always be in flux, always be in that state of change? And I think that businesses that adapt to that philosophy and are always looking at how are they going to change? They're going to take risks well. But they're so they're going to succeed in some experiments and they're going to fail in others. But when you're used to that, the idea that that change is a constant, you will find things that work, but also cut out the things that don't work mm -hmm. more readily. And it's easy for me to say uh, that's my job is to is to try to tell people that this is what works and to nudge people in that direction. You know, if if my job is transformation, that's that's so it's an easy thing for me to say, but. I, and I recognize that for a lot of businesses, that's difficult because yeah. it's not necessarily the way their budgets might be set up right now. It's not necessarily the way their org structure is designed. But I do think that uh, that that's that's where we're seeing uh, that's what we're seeing in the world. The time between innovations, the time between big changes, is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And so businesses need to be able to adapt quicker and quicker and quicker. And now we've gotten to the point where that just means we're in a state of constant change. Yeah. And, and it goes back to one of my first questions to you about the fact that you're constantly re-educating. And I mean, because if you're the person working on these, these accounts, these businesses, you actually um, are walking the talk on that behavior, right? Because yeah. you're always upgrading yourself. Well, you have to, but but at the same time, it's always amazing how little you know, right? You, 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 uh, that's that's what always shocks me. I'm sitting is, here right now. Is, is, uh, <laughs> I, I, I sit there and I'm really fortunate in my position to be surrounded by I mean, real experts across a lot of mm -hmm. different disciplines. I help stitch everything together. I help bring the pieces together. I can act as the glue. Um, but I am so fortunate that a huge number of people that I work with are, are expert in, mm -hmm. in such a variety of topics where we are – I tend to believe that we are um, a product of the people who we surround ourselves with. Of course, with. we are. And, and so, uh, you know, you, I seek out those kinds of people, those kinds of influences. And for, fortunately in my business, I'm surrounded by a bunch of them that I really have a lot of respect for. I actually, and that brings me to one of my favorite Justin Payton quotes. <laughs> uh, you were mentioning casually with me before we came into the studio about, um, uh, about the fact that the really great things that were happening when you were flying prior to COVID for your work was was the kind of gems happening between conversations. So, so as much as we've talked about digital transformation, um, how do you think the lack of human connection has been affected? I think that's the hardest thing. I, I genuinely, when I look at everything that's happened over the past year, um, we quickly proved to ourselves and to, to, I think businesses proved to themselves very quickly that they could survive and we could manage this and we could talk to each other and we had tools to collaborate and we didn't need to be there in person. 
but I really believe that the serendipity that happens when people have random conversations, the serendipity that's made possible at a coffee machine or when you go and sit down and talk to someone about the project they're working on that you aren't working on, but you hear about and and an idea sparks or um, those moments, those are harder to find. And I think that that we're gonna we're gonna take some time to get back to that. But I think that that's the, that's part of the magic that uh, that's missing. We're doing um, really great work and really amazing work mm-hmm. in this circumstance. But I, I think that that every business would be, and everyone that I speak to, I think I think they'd all be be ready to admit that actually there are some elements that that we all miss from. Uh, from the pre-COVID, from the pre-COVID days of being able to have those moments. Um, so you said there's a lot of creative problem solving that comes up, like problems that could be solved um, in person. It's much quicker to resolve them prior to COVID than doing the digital stuff. I don't know if it's a if it's a quicker thing. I just think that you find different influences. When I sit in an office, like right now on a project, you work with the project team, you know who's there, you try to bring in all the right experts, you try to bring all that in. But I also know that in my office, I used to just go and sit down next to creative teams and ask them, what are they working on? Look at the work. I don't know who the client is, but just start talking. And the next thing you know, I can add ideas and people would do the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. Is And that kind of serendipity is a, is a harder thing to find. And I think that, that those are the, so what I've, what I've tried to do, and, and we're really fortunate again, to be in a city <laughs> where we can yes. see, where we can see people. Um, I look at some of my colleagues around the world and they're not nearly as lucky, but what I've tried to do is just make sure that I do schedule time with people for breakfast on a regular yeah. basis. And, and that's not just to go, let's go through the project outline and where are we? It's also to talk about what are the other things that you're working on to what are the other things that you're, that you're, th- that you've been thinking about? Because I, I can tell you that that that's really where, where real, where real magic starts to happen. I was working and thinking about uh, kind of, I was working with a big, um, on a big automotive project and one of my colleagues uh we were talking and he started to talk to me about how he'd been working on a project to to not think about um not not just optimize uh advertising and digital media based on the number of clicks or based on the number of views or these kinds of things but also but he was really looking at how do we start focusing more on the human emotion mm-hmm. so how do we use ai to uh, if we show someone a film to to get a camera to look at their face and to use AI to map the emotions in their face to know at what point in that film at what point in that com- in, in that little video are they smiling are they laughing are we getting the emotions that the brand mm-hmm. really wants so we can optimize around real human emotion rather than optimizing against uh, a proxy um, and don't get me wrong both are very valid and, and have great and and have great value mm-hmm. and most of what we do. Uh, is 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 based on different data signals, but but I love the fact that he was all of a sudden working on how do we use more human emotion and more AI as a signal because that's all of a sudden something I could bring to my client. And go, hey, we we could start looking at things this way, and it became a really interesting element. And it's just one more way yeah. to layer in consumer insights and build that bigger profile of what's going to work. How do we target the right people with the most personalized information? These are the things that I think are really interesting. That is, that is so fascinating to me because actually during COVID, I, I developed, or worked as a speaker, I developed a speech that I did virtually for all of COVID. And then it was 
booked for in person and the things that I thought were funny the things that I thought were on oh, me being sassy just to give some brevity some of the darker bits people did not laugh and and that whole time I had been delivering it to a virtual audience without feedback much in the same way an ad would run um, or a film would run and you don't know <laughs> and I, it was it wasn't a rude awakening but I was like oh that needs to be tweaked and that needs to be tweaked so you think you know what a consumer wants or, or what a, an audience member wants but we can always go deeper well I think I think the good news is is that from a from a digital marketing perspective we always, I mean, we're, we're not shy on signals, right? There are mm -hmm. a lot of signals that we get and a lot so of So these are like all the we, clips and where people are. <laughs> absolutely. There, 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 there have always been a lot of signals that we can capture. And so, so taking those signals in, looking at how we can find different attitudes, behaviors, personalized messaging, find the right, you know, these are all things mm -hmm. that we have been able to do and that we continue to support our clients with and that, that we that we continue to use products like like Marketing Cloud to, to really deliver and really focus on uh, or add studio in, in these in these in these elements. But um, I I think that the question and is always what's what's next, right? How do how do we go one step further and and the question, I mean, the ideal here, the, the, the absolute ideal from a digital marketing perspective is how do you personalize content for a segment of one, right? So how do I give something that's really just for mm. you? And obviously that's not quite possible and not quite practical. Although we're moving in that direction, yeah. there's all kinds of challenges to it. But I, but I think that we've got to hold ourselves to these kinds of ideals. The good thing about having ideals and 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 a vision is that they challenge us to what can we do that's better what can we do that moves us in that direction and those are the things that that force us to think about okay what can we do for a client that they haven't done before uh what can we do for a client that we haven't done before and those are the things that are fun this is like the best ad for what you do ever. <laughs> the end part of that statement is brilliant. Okay, so that, that brings me to my next question. And it's very clear to me that you're a leader who you like discomfort. You move countries many times. Um, you're always pushing yourself. How can the rest of us take a bit of that in our own lives, besides what you already mentioned about constantly upskilling? Uh, this this is the hardest question. I, I, I don't know how to tell people how to like strive for elements like that. I think that that's not actually what people strive for. We are chemically set mm -hmm. up to, to look for comfort, yeah, right? Keep that's, us safe. That's, that's what we do. We look for comfort. We look for safety. We look for that. I, I think that the reality is, though, that in a world where things are changing really quickly, that if you're not challenging yourself, um, you're not really stretching yourself and you're not really safe. The safety of being static is an illusion today because in actual fact, it's not static. The world's not going to be uh, what it looks like today. It's not going to be that way tomorrow. So so we've got to put ourselves in that place. And the reality is that, that and this is so easily said and so hard to actually feel or believe, is we all, and I am my worst enemy here, but, but no one likes the point of failure. Every, there's a million different quotes and a million different leaders who will say, oh, fail fast, fail often. Let's face facts, failure sucks. No one likes that feeling. And it's the last thing you want to do for a client. In my business, uh, work in a consulting business effectively, mm -hmm. right? If I fail for a client, uh, do I still have that client? Um, so, so failure is not always uh, what you want to feel. But at the same time, if you take risks and if you experiment, what you find, I think, is that 
you get to the point where you can take calculated risks and you can take intelligent risks and you're still going to fail at some, but the failure, you need to kind of shift the perspective from it's not failing, it's learning. Mm -hmm. And, and that goes for how you work with clients. That goes for everybody. Everybody wants to be learning lessons and everybody struggles at some points in time and not everything works out the way we hoped it would. But if we shift the perspective from, uh, it's a risk, it's scary, it's failure to this is just another lesson and it helps me to do the next thing better. That, that's, that's hopefully the way to go. Okay. What, what gets you really excited in the morning when you get up ready to go to work? I think this is what I've already said. It's just the, the what is the challenge that I have to figure out and that I have to solve. I, 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 you like problems. I, I like problems that I don't know how to solve. I like, I like the, the figuring something out um, that we haven't done before. I think I think in this industry there's a lot of um, there's a, and there's a big need to create use cases that we can replicate and that we can learn from mm -hmm. and that we can that we can instill in a couple other places and those are great and that's how you make sure you're delivering value mm -hmm. right but but the fun thing that makes it really exciting is trying something for the first time and going okay I. I think this should work. On paper, everything says it should work. Logically, it should work. <laughs> Let's see if it really Cross does. Cross fingers. <laughs> I am I am as superstitious as it comes when it comes to some things. So I'll touch wood. I'll cross fingers. <laughs> I don't have a rabbit's foot or anything crazy like any, that. Any examples you can give us of, of where you pulled off something for a client that was like, oh, well, this works. First time I'm doing this. I, I think. Listen, I think. I think there's a there's there's a huge amount that that we could probably talk about. Um, the, the challenge with that is trying to come up with great examples. Um, it's okay. You can, <laughs> you can, you can. I'm trying to, there's always the, 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 the challenge with it is always what you can talk about of and what course, you can't. Because when you do something for the first time, most of our clients are like that we keep to ourselves. So, <laughs> so, 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 so it's always trying to find what are the examples you can really talk about. I think, I think the, 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 the key for me is always um, kind of philosophically the move towards how we help people understand who their customers are better. I think that, that, that for me, helping clients take take bigger risks and, and shift their perspective from being um, very product-led, very product-focused, to being very customer-led, mm -hmm. and, and what that actually takes. Because it sounds like a very easy shift, right? It sounds like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to change the way we think about things and, and job done. The reality is that most of our clients are big blue chip clients. They've existed for a long time. They've got big data sets that talk about who their customers are. And most of those big data sets talk about their customers from the perspective of here's a product, here's all the people that own it, as opposed to here is a person, here is the motivation, here is why they have bought these products, here's who the rest of their family actually is and what products they might own and understanding wow. the relationship between these things. So there is an entire architectural shift that has to happen within a business to, to make that work. And the, 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 the business case to make that shift is, is not always the easiest thing to, to, to help put together because it doesn't always pay back in the first yeah. in the first step, and yet the first step. It, so, so for me, you know, those are the risks that I think are the most fun, even though even though they're not always the ones that that look the biggest. But it's like 
helping a client make a fundamental shift like that and starting to look at what's the architecture underneath it and the data structures that we can help to to change and to reorient because as you reorient those you open up kind of what feels like infinite possibility mm-hmm. and and then you can have fun you can start doing all kinds of there's 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 all kinds of creative solutions that come out of being able to address an individual and know who they actually are be able to overlay other behavioral facets, be able to find people like them and 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 kind of cross-apply the lessons that you learn from one person to another. Uh, speaking of one person to another, you have kids. I do. So my final question is for you today. Um, you, we see all, we've talked a lot about digital transformation, but with what's happening now, how would you like it to shape the future for your children? Wow. That's a, a, it's a big question. Um, as I said, probably... A few times, I, I think I'm an idealist. I like to think that technology will help my kids uh, explore their own humanity. I I think that the reality here is that we are stuck to screens more than we probably should be. I'm very guilty of being stuck inside of a phone screen more than I should be, for you're sure. You're keeping up with the industry. That's what you're doing, that's, Justin. That's, that's, that's what I like to tell myself. That's what also what I like to tell my wife. Uh, she, she doesn't always uh, agree with that point of view, but that's what I like to tell my wife. But, but I think that the, the reality is that the way I, I hope the world will go is the, the aspiring view that technology will connect people, that technology will allow people to learn and be influenced and come in contact with information that challenges them to think not just the way they think today, but but to, to be exposed to a variety of different thoughts and to be challenged so that they can stretch themselves and that technology will enable people to um, uh, explore uh, explore themselves. And, and that sounds very hippie and idealistic. Um, but but that's that's what I, I hope for. I hope that what I don't wind up with is kids who are just stuck within screens the whole time. I think that technology has the ability to, to, to move into the background so that we are always given a more seamless, more connected world so that our needs are um, anticipated, not mm-hmm. necessarily preempted, but anticipated. We don't want to remove choice, but we do want to uh, anticipate people's You mean needs Amazon's to be able not going to come to the door and put my food directly in my mouth? They pr- they might. <laughs> I, I can't I can't tell you what they have planned. Um, but 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 no. What what I what I mean is that choice I think is a really important thing, and I think that that people, I think that giving people too much choice is a real challenge. There's always there's always that you give people mm-hmm. a choice of fifteen things, they don't know what they want. You give people a choice of two things, and it's like I know exactly which one I want. I want that one. That's the better one. Yeah. Um. So 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 but. But I do think that, that making sure that people have some choice is a really valuable thing. But anticipating their needs so that those choices are between good and good, and it's, it's a personal choice, then yep. which one is better, becomes the, 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 the value that we can offer. And being able to, to connect people with the things that are going to be most relevant to them, but to do it in a way that we're not closing the doors for them to explore the unexpected. And, and that to me is really the interesting bit is how do we make sure that we allow people to explore mm-hmm. the unexpected because instead of just automating their lives. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to automate anybody's of life. Of course. I, I, exactly. I, I, I like the idea that everybody of lives a very full and rich life. But uh, but I think that anticipating their needs and, and removing the friction where the friction is a negative. Yeah. Is, where, where things is, are inconvenient. Yeah. And, yeah. Bogging down the day. No one wants to sit and oh. wait through an IVR for... for, uh, for uh, I, couldn't even tell you how many IVRs <laughs> I've had to go through um, since COVID has started as, as you're sitting there trying to navigate um, call centers where there's reduced staff yeah. and, and the challenges. These are things that we all, and and that, those are problems that are simply solved. And, like, but our world was not built for it at the time. Our world did not see it was coming. But now but it, but we it's will. A, but it is amazing how quick we've, I yes, mean, those are the kinds incredible. of things where, those are the kinds of things where we have helped a lot of clients where it's like, okay, you know what? You have a problem. You have lots of people who are going to call into a call center. We need to quickly automate that. We need to quickly look at how chatbots can help. We need to quickly look at how we can get people's preferences. Those, yeah. those are the elements that I think that vet tech exists today and there's no excuse for asking people to deal with a process that is that inconvenient. And realistically, consumers do judge the moment they have an experience that's seamless the moment you have an experience that's oh painless. you remember it the, oh yeah and not only do you remember it you expect every other brand to deliver yes. on that your expectation is that every brand delivers to the best experience you have ever had and if they don't then you hold it against them yeah, I, I, I suppose you do. And then when you have to give those people return business because you're forced to, you're resentful actually. And then you associate resentment with that brand, which um, we all shouldn't want. So let's leave on a more high note. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to leave us with anything? Any thoughts? Um, just that, I, that it, I, I've been more excited and more enthused by the, the possibility and the potential and the ambition that I'm seeing in the past year than I've ever been. Like wow. this has been, this has been for me, listen, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of pain points about the past year, but I do like to be a silver lining person. And what the real silver lining has been is that people's ambitions have gone right up to the top. And that is really exciting. And it really, um, yeah, it, it makes me look forward to where we're going. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you.